All right, all right. Good morning, church. Good morning. If you've got your Bibles, please open up to the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. We're in a series that we're calling Grown Good, and it's really not a series on Galatians, just the last two chapters. And the reason that we're focusing in on the last two chapters of Galatians is, um, well, in part because chapter 5 kind of sums up the earlier parts, but also the fact that the focal point, what we're really trying to get at, we're really aiming at, um, actually is coming in two weeks from now, and everything else is setting up the table for that. And that's really talking about the effect of the Holy Spirit in our life in the way that, that it impacts others. Um, just while you're turning in your Bibles uh, to Galatians chapter 5, 13 to 18, um, this, this week we're talking, the, the, the title of the message is The Good Law. If you were here two weeks back, you heard Pastor Brent talk about the passage that actually just precedes this passage. The passage that's talking about the reality of the law, but that, that the law was there, that, that God gave this law, uh, and, and he gave it through Moses, and it, was, and it served his purpose, it was there, but that we have a new law, and that the new law is the law of Christ. He fulfilled the old law. This set the table for us to understand how much, where the bar is, but also that we could not possibly accomplish this on our own. Jesus did, and now that because that we have the freedom to live the way that he created us too. So we've got a good law. Next week, we're going to talk about the good purge. This, this week, the good law sets the table and the foundation for saying, okay, well, what needs to go? Like, in my life, if I'm following Jesus, if that's something that he's impacted me, with what needs to leave my life um, so that I can more effectively live that out, the thing that I was designed to live and lead. And then it's going to follow, be followed by kind of the epicenter of our focus, which is the good life uh, in 5, 22 through 23. But this week, we're going to be in this passage, the passage that kind of sets the table for everything going forward. Uh, take a look at chapter 5, verses 13 and following. As you guys remember, Pastor Brent talking about this is not to a church of Galatia. It's a region. So it's kind of like the, the, to the churches in Grundy County. That's kind of what Galatia is. It's this, it's this region, this area. You, my brothers, verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, pause real quick. He's not saying the entire law, the entire Ten Commandments. Paul is saying the entire 613 laws. The entire 613 laws of the Old Testament, including the Ten Commandments, can be summed up in this, in this one statement, then this one command, this mission of ours, to love our neighbor as ourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you're going to be destroyed by each other. Verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit is what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want, but you're led by the Spirit. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Uh, the passage here, um, if we want to just take a look at this in a different translation real quick, we kind of see the whole thing. We see our mission as Christians, our problem as Christians, and our solution as Christians. Our mission is this, for you are called to freedom, brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom as an opportunity to indulge your flesh or basically the self-centered, self-absorbed impulse that every human being has. But through love, serve one another. The whole law can be summed up in a single command, namely, you must love your neighbor as yourself. That is our mission. And, and the truth is that, that it is a unique mission to Christians. Everybody loves. Everybody loves. You're gonna, if you have the most devout Christian or the most devout atheist, both of them love people. 
Paul is saying there's something unique about the flavor and the branding of this love. It's different. We're going to get to that in just a second. That's our mission. Our problem, though, is that we don't do it. However, if you continually bite and devour one another, beware that you are not consumed by one another. In other words, right now, as a, he's writing to a Christian community. You guys, are, you guys follow Jesus. You claim Jesus and you say that, he's, that he loves you. He does. But you, then you turn the guns on one another. And you're just like, bite, 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 bite. Did any of you who are parents have a kid, one of your kids that was just like a biter? Yeah? Okay. How, okay, raise of hands. The biters in your family, maybe this was you. The biters in your family, um, raise your hand if the biter was a boy. Okay. Raise your hand if the biter was a girl. Okay. Oh, okay. It's almost 50-50 because usually, for whatever reason, my experience is it's, it's sometimes it's a girl or the younger sister. Maybe that was just my context, but it was my brother and I, we were the oldest, and, and my sister couldn't out-muscle us, and she couldn't out-talk us. And so she only had one thing left, and that was hachapas. And so basically, it was just like, I, I can't out-talk you, I can't out-muscle you, and she was taken to us. And that usually won. Paul is saying, here's your problem. You guys are not loving each other the way God's called you to love, and instead you're devouring one another. You're dying by cannibalism. You're eating one another to a point where you're like, just, you're, you're going to be no more. You are going to destroy one another, which is the exact opposite of what you were created to do. Your mission but there's a solution. But I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh has desires that are opposed to the Spirit, and the Spirit has desires that are opposed to the flesh. For these are in opposition to each other, so that you cannot do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And whenever we talk about the law, of course, you know where we're going. We're going to be talking about cassette tapes. Cassette tapes. Okay, how many of you rocked cassette tapes back in the day? You enjoyed cassette tapes? Okay. Here's what's going to make you feel old. How many of you, everyone pay attention to this, how many of you have never owned a cassette, old or young, you've never owned a cassette tape? Okay. All right. Thank you. Yep. Yep. There was a kid in the, at the 8 a.m. service like, what is that? What is that? Because, I mean, honestly, looking at it like that is just, I don't know, it's stupid looking. What is it? It was, for those of you who, who aren't aware, let me just tell you this historical insight here. A cassette tape was what followed eight tracks, which is what followed like LPs, vinyls. And yes. And, uh, and, and cassette tapes were this, this things like it, it doesn't, um, we can have this in the vehicle, in our car, we can be mobile, it doesn't skip. It's brilliant. Except for the stinking thing is made, of, the raw problem with tape is that it's tape. It's, it's, it's got a shelf life, an expiration. I remember being a 10-year-old and saving up my allowance to buy a cassette tape. And I was so stoked to have a cassette tape that I owned. And I had it in the car. We went into McDonald's. And it was July. And I come back into the car and I put that cassette tape in. And instead of beautiful music, this awesome stuff that I, was, I purchased with my own 10-year-old money, it's like... I'm like... No, no, and it's not like you can edit undo. It's, it's not like you can just like, oh, well, I'll just take it back in. No, it's gone. It's toast. Everyone who had a tape, it served its purpose. It, it, it doesn't skip like a record. It doesn't whatever, but, but it had a shelf life. There are very few people who are walking around with their cassettes from 1982 saying, it sounds the same. I just love it. <laughs> now, I want you to think about it this way. The cassette tape, let's think about that like the law. Okay? 
The law of Moses, the 613 laws, it served its purpose. It was good. It had functionality. It, it was something that was important, but it had an expiration date. There were obvious limitations, just like the cassette tape. Everyone who used the cassette tape understood there were obvious limitations to it. The law had obvious limitations to it. Namely, we couldn't do it. And that was, that was a glaring problem. The, the solution was we had to keep on sacrificing, but even the sacrifices we understood, the Old Testament Hebrews understood, this is just a covering for something that, that's going to that's gonna be more intense down the road. This has to be re, replaced by something. It has to be fulfilled by something. And it was, except for that something was a someone, and it was Jesus. And when Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament law, he made the old technology of it obsolete. It was no longer needed. It was no longer functional. He gave a new law, a better law, an upgrade. So it'd be almost like if someone offered you the ability to have one of two technologies for free, which are you choosing? See, because you, if you fast forward down and you see a superior technology and someone says, look, I, this is on me. I'm going to give you either one of these for free. Either piece of these technology where you can actually have mobile music, have your music wherever you want to go. Between the, a tape deck... And an iPhone, most folks would choose the iPhone. Now, let's just go ahead and put it through this lens. If the Old Testament law was obsolete because Jesus fulfilled it, the new law was the law of Christ. Uh, Paul in Galatians calls it the law of Christ or the law of the Spirit, which is the law of love. Now, the original uh, readers of this, a lot of them, they were called Judaizers. Pastor Brent told you about these guys. They looked at this whole thing and they said, no, listen, 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 listen. You don't get us, you, you're, Paul, it's not that we, we reject Jesus and what he did. We're not rejecting what he did. We're just holding on to the old. The Judaizers, they, they were people who said, you know what, everyone, when Paul was first here, he, had, he was just giving you kind of an abridged version of the whole story. He was talking about the love of Christ and the freedom of Christ. But truly, we need all of the Old Testament law. We, I know you're not Jews, but you need to act like you're Jewish so that you can really have the full orb experience. And Paul's like, no, I didn't give you an abridged version. I told you what was the upgrade. The Judaizers said, no, Paul, we've got, an, we've got for them, we've got a solution. We can have this. We can hold on to the old and have the new at the same time. This is the dumbest hipster move I've ever seen. There are people out there, and I'm not talking about like people in their 30s, 40s, and 50s. People who are in their early 20s, they're like, no, I just prefer analog. Like, I just love cassette tape. I mean, it's got to die within six weeks in order for me to listen to it, because that's awesome. It's the only way to listen to music, warped and poorly sounding. And they, and they actually will, will purchase cassettes. <laughs> it's goofy. And like, but the thing is, again... The only reason, and, and, and get this, understand this, old technology served its purpose, but when new technology comes, the old technology somehow becomes obsolete. And when a person bypasses adopting a better format, it's because they have a nostalgic or religious adherence to the old. The only reason that someone would do something like this is if they're like, oh man, but yeah, cassette tapes, I mean, you could hold your music. You could hold your music, you could burn your music, you could do everything you wanted to your music. You could like take all of the tape out if it's a Led Zeppelin song and you could flip it over and try to listen to the backmasking messages in it. Did anyone do that? Totally did that. Did you hear that? 
The only reason people would do this, the only reason people would hold on to this is for a nostalgic or religious adherence. This worked. We can't let go of this. If we let go of this, this is going to be something that, that's shortchanging the past. And Paul is saying, this is not something about, being, about tradition. Tradition is fine. Tradition is good. But you need to understand that Jesus has accomplished what you're trying to accomplish with the old. He's given you an upgrade, and you're refusing to live it out. And the upgrade he's given to you is not this law. It's the law of his accomplishment and his empowerment, which is a redefined love. More specifically, he's given you the ability, he's equipped you with living out redefined love. The freedom that he's done in accomplishing the righteousness for you gives you the ability to not have a relationship like this with you and God. I'm experiencing God's grace, his forgiveness, this is awesome. God loves me, God loves me, God loves me. I love him, I love him, I love him. But to have this type of experience where we, Scripture says that it's like this. That type of thing. But the problem is that as soon as I say love, I've already polluted my communication to you because I'm speaking in English. Because that's the only thing I can really speak in. English has one word. I mean, and we mean so many different things when we say love. When we say I love, we can say about a lot of stuff that is so radically different on different levels. We, 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 when we say, oh, I love that food and I love my son, different. There's a difference. This word is so all over the place and ambiguous in English. That's why it's tough to have English translations because we're already handicapped. Wouldn't it be cool if we knew what language the Bible was written in so we could know what they actually meant? Oh, we do. It was written in Greek. And in Greek, they had not just one word. They had multiple words for love. And, and they kind of, in Scripture, you get highlighted four particular. Uh, but, and and the, most, the most prominent um, is the one that they used in this passage. But just to help you understand that when Greeks understood love, they understood it through a couple different lenses. The first was family. Storge was a word for family. It was the love that you had for your, your spouse or your kids or your parents. It's like this, this love that you're, you're born into. It, it's like a love that's there. Ironically, the word storge is love for family. I, I, look, what am I going to do? I, I'm, they're my family. I love them. Can't stand them sometimes, but I love them. They're my family. It's the same that storge was used for family, but it's also used for the love people had for tyrants, <laughs> which is kind of funny. Um, and it's like, well, what am I going to do? He's, you know, I can't vote this guy out. We don't, we don't live in a republic or a democracy. We just got to live with it. Yeah, I love him. I storge this guy. So it was that type of love. Love for family. I'm born into it. It's just not much you can do about it. It's there. There's also the love called philia, which was for friendship. This is where we get the word Philadelphia from, the city of brotherly love. It's this idea that, look, we're not, we're not related as family members, but there's something tight between us. It's this philia kind of love. It's like this, this bond that we've got. And, and so... There's different, uh, in Greek, you see that expressed. You also see eros, which is the erotic love, a romantic love, the kind of love between, between someone, two people that, that love each other on a romantic level. Now, these are all good words for love. And when we say love in English, we mean one of those things. But the thing that we, we don't often mean is the word that is used in this passage, which is agape. Agape is unconditional love. And the New Testament writers and the early Christians hijacked this word. They took a word that meant this high-level, unconditional love, and they hijacked it to specifically refer to what Jesus did on the cross. This was his love for us. And furthermore, this divine love that God has given to us is the divine love he calls us to show others this unconditional love. 
Here's our problem with that as people in the 21st century. We have a filter. If we're going to love others, it has to pass through a filter before it's acceptable. The first part of the filter is, well, my, I, I like them. I like this person. There's something attractive about this person's, about their body, about their attitude, about just being with them makes me feel good. I like this person. Or you could use the junior high prerequisite for a relationship, which is, they like me. It doesn't matter if I like them. They like me. That's enough. That's good. And so, like, I like them. They like me. And so, like, I will love others if they, if they, they, they showed it, me attention. I love them. I, I didn't get that growing up, and now this person's showing me attention. I love this person. Another filter is that they agree with me. I love people who agree with me as far as, as, far as my tribe. Like, they... they they agree with my politics. They agree with my religious views. They agree with uh, the way that I think about society as a whole. They agree with my morality. That's my filter. Another filter is I'll love them if they can meet, uh, help me meet my needs. I love you because you're a good father to my kids. I love you because you're a good mother. I love you because you help me not feel alone. I love you because... When I'm in need, you're there. I love this person because they help meet my needs. Or finally, I love this person because they haven't wronged me. You know what, this person, they, they've, they're, always, they're just true. They're a true person. They're faithful. They've never wronged me. They've never, they've never done something that has, has stepped in on me in a way that has damaged me emotionally or physically. And that's why I love them. Now, these are all very natural. These are all very common. These are all very, I mean, decent concepts as far as prerequisites for love. The only problem is, is that this is not something that, it, that this passage is calling us to. This is, it, Paul's basically saying, this is all perfectly normal. This is all perfectly natural. I'm calling you to something that's supernatural. Because this right here is me-centric. This is all focused on me. Basically, the God at the center of this universe is myself. I will love you as long as you meet my needs. I will love you as long as you don't disturb me, hurt me, wrong me, lie to me. I will love you as long as you do this, this, and this. But as soon as you do, it's over. Or step up to the plate, at least to some degree in these areas, and then we're gonna, we can go forward. Paul is saying, as natural as this, he's calling us to a different filter. If you are a Christian, you have a different reality, a different filter. And the filter you now have is the cross. The cross is the filter. Agape love is this weird kind of love that showcases what he did on the cross to us that we can now mirror to others. Okay, so we're going to get really deep in our Greek here today. So I need everyone to stand up. Yep. We've done this once before, and not too many people left the church because of it, so we're going to do it again. All right. This is a way to remember agape love. And remember that when you come to love in the New Testament, it is through this filter, okay? And this understanding. And, and so this is, we're going really deep here. So put on your thinking hats. All right, so what I want you to do is I want you to um, copy what I'm going to do here for you right now, okay? Repeat after me. Agape love. No, you got to do it with the hands, okay, everyone? Agape love comes from above. Even when they're a pain in the butt. You got to love them no matter what. Okay, we're going to try this one time, but we're all going to do it together. Ready? Agape love comes from above, even when they're a pain in the butt. You got to love them no matter what. Amen? Have a seat. All right. See how deep we get here? You can just tell your friends, man, the depth. Oh. Now, here's the thing. 
That is an explanation for agape love because even Christians justify an unbiblical definition of love because they have not gotten into the reality that agape loves Agape love loves people like this. This means that I can love non-Christians through the filter of Jesus. I can love people who disagree with my faith, who think that I'm, I'm a lunatic for believing in the resurrection. I can, I can, I can love people that, that actually want to harm me. In other parts of this world, there's Christians showing agape love for people who don't want to just diminish their rights. They want to diminish their life. And they're doing that through the filter of, of the cross. That is their starting point. The cross is their starting point. When that's the starting point, they can actually love people they don't like. I don't like this person, but I'm loving them anyway because I can, I, I can love people who don't like me all because of the cross. And get this, this is a reality between Christians and non-Christians. What Paul is advocating in Galatians is this, that there should be even a stepped-up measure with Christians. Why? Because Christians are more agreeable than non-Christians? Uh-uh. Have you met Christians? We can sometimes be more like getting under people's skin than non-Christians, true? So the, the reality, Paul's not saying, and especially with Christians, because they're just so wonderful in every way. No, he's saying, especially with Christians, because with Christians, we have something in common that we don't have with non-Christians. We are actually, both us and this other Christian, have been, our hearts have been tattooed with the reality of God's unconditional love, his grace. We're both recipients of that. So that's both of our backstory. And so as Paul is saying, as Christians, you're devouring each other. You're gossiping about each other. You're ripping each other apart. You're not unified in any way, shape, or form. And that's, that's, a, that's a shame. You should be ashamed of that because of the fact that both of you have been marked with a better love than you're showing to one another, a better love that came from him. This is what New Testament writers thought of when they wrote the word love. They thought of agape. Um, scholar, New Testament scholar, the late great Leon Morris put it this way. My first point is that we know love in the New Testament sense only because we see it in the cross. My second point is that to see this love is to be affected by it. Basically, he's saying this, whatever filter you have for love, whatever definition, he's not saying, you know what you should do? Think about the nicest person that you can think of and try to be a nice person like that. He's like, no, because that, that, that has, it has holes all in it. The definition of love, our starting point of love starts at the cross. Our love is not me-centric, it is cross-centric. A cross-centered love will always be the type of love that God is calling us to. And that was the only love these guys are using as this call from God for us to flesh out to other people. So, in our solution to redefine love, to actually live this out, we are going to um, recognize that we can live out the love Paul is referring to when and only when it looks like the cross. And there's three markers that we're going to talk about today of cross-centered love. How do you know that the love you're showing is cross-centered? It has a couple of markers. And the first is, cross-centered love costs me. Cross-centered love costs me. Meaning that this is something that, that actually is not just easy sometimes. Sometimes this love, this type of love, will cost me my pride. It's going to cost me, um, it's going to cost me time. It might even cost me money but it's going to cost me. It will not be easy. Who's, who is it in your life that's really difficult to love? Just think about that. Who, if you're expressing cross-centered love, who would be someone, or this would be someone that it would cost to love? 
when John thinks about it, and he writes in 1 John all about the kind of love that God calls us to, this, listen to how powerful he puts this. Dear friends, let us love one another. Let us agape. And remember what agape means. Let us agape one another. Because agape love is from God. And everyone who agape loves has been fathered by God and knows God. The person who does not agape love does not know God. Because God is agape love, unconditional love. By this, the agape love of God is revealed in us, that God has sent his one and only son into the world that we may live through him. This is agape love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God so loved us, then we also ought to love one another. Basically saying this, the truth is that our definition of love comes from that point. The reality that this was a costly move. This cost the life of the Son of God when he gave up his life on the cross. It cost him absorbing that as a sacrifice. By definition, it was sacrificial. And so when, when, when the New Testament writers who knew Jesus are talking about this reality of love, they're saying, this is what it looks like. Now go show this to other people. Don't climb up on, 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 a, on a tree and get pinned to it for them. What you're doing is you're actually every day in small ways laying down your life and loving people. That costs you. Not only um, does, is a mark of cross-centered love that it costs me, but also it aims to glorify the Heavenly Father more than please myself. Now think back to the garden, okay? Was Jesus in the garden saying, I just can't wait for this. This is so great. Being crucified is going to be the best thing ever. I see what's going to happen at the end of the road. It's going to make it all, I know it's going to be difficult, but I see the end goal and it's going to be wonderful. So I'm just excited. Is that what we see in the scriptures? No. We see Jesus in the scripture bleeding droplets of blood, meaning that the capillaries and, every, and all the blood vessels in, in, his, in his face have been so stressed, the anxiety level is so high about what he's about to encounter that he's actually sweating blood. That he's actually thinking not only of the physical reality of being tortured and, and, and being, having metal spikes driven through his wrists and his feet. Not only that, he's actually in, encountering the reality that the holiness that he has experienced for all eternity past is about to meet face to face with absorbing sin and punishment, which he didn't deserve. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you just didn't feel like it. You just didn't want to. But that's a situation where I would, if I was in his place, would not feel it and would not want to. And Jesus honestly communicates as he's praying to the Heavenly Father, if there's any other way for this cup to pass, if there's any plan B that means that we're able to accomplish our mission without what's about to happen happening, let that happen. But, and then he prays the prayer that some have said is the most important prayer a person can pray. And that is this, but not my will, but what? Your, wills be done. Your will be done. Not what I want, not what I feel, but what you feel. Jesus in the garden is giving us an example from the, the Trinity of God, this amazing notion of saying, I don't feel it. I don't want to go through what it's going to take to do this but not what I want, but what you want, Heavenly Father. I want to bring glory to you, not to me. And that's a, that's a tall leap, but that's what God calls us to do. John Piper put it this way. Doing what you feel like doing when you feel like doing it 
has never proved to be a life of liberation, but of bondage. True freedom isn't doing what you want to do, period. It's doing what you want to do and wanting to do what you ought to do. In other words, there is something crucial that defines freedom underneath want to and feel like, namely ought to and the person you are meant to be. And of course, as soon as you bring an ought to onto the table or the person you you are made to be, we are confronted immediately with a higher or deeper authority than ourselves, namely God. There can be no true freedom when a person tries to ignore God's design for his life. Just like there's no true freedom if you try to ignore the law of gravity. If you jump off a cliff, you may feel the exhilaration of freedom for three or four seconds, and then you die. And living your life without, the re- without reference to God is like jumping off a cliff. It just takes a little longer to hit bottom, but you will. But you will. The amazing thing that we have been called into, the design of our life, and, and the design of the love that God has called us to, is to live out this cross-centered love which aims to glorify the Father more than please myself. Now again, I got to tell you, we're not giving a whole lot of practical steps here. This is foundational to what's happening next week and the week after. That's where you kind of see some serious application. But unless you understand this is the foundation, that our life has to be cross-centered in order to communicate anything that God's calling us to do as Christians, you're not going to get it. Cross-centered love aims to glorify the Father more than please myself. Also, cross-centered love sets out to make broken things whole. Cross-centered love sets out to make broken things whole, meaning this was not a token This wasn't just a token act of love. I kind of want to show you how much I love you, so I'm going to kind of do something important. There was purpose behind it. This this is different. Agape love is different than just telling someone something that makes them feel good. You don't really mean it. You don't really care, but you're just kind of saying it, like whatever. The love that God has called us to, cross-centered love, actually calls us into saying, I'm going to love this person with the kind of love that God has spoken into the brokenness of my life that has repaired me. And I can't repair this person. One of the best things I could do as a follower of Jesus is to communicate that same kind of love to them so that they get a chance to taste a little bit of the antidote. They get a chance to understand a little bit of the mechanism that God used to save me. That for out of his love for us, he did that. And that's difficult. I mean, you might be thinking again, there's some people in your life that are really broken. And let's be honest, in our families, we have brokenness, right? There's brokenness in our families. There, ha- there is brokenness in our families. There has been brokenness in our families. There's going to be brokenness in our families. I, it's, it's really depressing, but it's true. I mean, if holidays are any indication, okay, this is going to keep happening. So the prerequisite of love is not this year, though. This Thanksgiving, everyone's going to be impeccable. They're going to treat each other with respect and love and The Christians at the table are going to act like it. Perhaps. But let's just go with the historical reality of no. And instead say what God has called us to do as followers of Jesus is to say, as far as I'm concerned as a follower of Jesus, he has called me, me. I'm not putting this on somebody else. My expectation isn't on them. He's called me individually to communicate the type of love that actually is able to, by God's power, make broken things whole. And that's not on you. That's not your doing. It's miraculous. Scott McKnight put it this way. He said, because it is the spirit of God that awakens love in our hearts, it's not something we can claim as our own. 
being able to truly agape love others is not the result of discipline. It is a miracle. And so I have to just stop right there. And that first line says it most poignantly. Because it is the spirit of God that awakens love in our hearts, it's not something we can claim as our own. If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you've never asked him to forgive your sins, do not try to emulate this. Don't. Just, just try to be a good person. Just try to be a good person and, and just do your best to be a good person. Because if you're not a Christian and you try to model this, you're going to crash and burn. This is impossible. This is totally impossible because people will give you every reason not to live this out, this kind of love out to them. Every reason possible. But if you are a Christian then you have what, what, what Paul talks about in, in Philippians 2, that if you have any encouragement by being united with him, any comfort from his love, any partnership with the Holy Spirit, then make my joy complete and be like-minded, be unified. Basically saying, if you're someone that's a follower of Jesus, you have been equipped with something that can convey this kind of love, this brand of love, this quality of love, even when you don't feel like it, even when you don't want to. So who is that person? Who is that person that honestly loving that person would be a miracle? It would be a miracle for you to have the desire to. Let's put it that way. Who is that person in your life? Who in your life, in all honesty, um, would it cost you to love? Who is someone that when you think of love, this is a person you don't feel like it? A spouse, a parent, a sibling, someone at work? someone in your neighborhood, I mean, it would be a straight-up miracle. And if you're in Christ, this person that may be an enemy, this person that may hate your guts, this person who may have just totally defamed your family or your God, is someone that through the filter of Christ, you can love with that miraculous kind of love. You can see them and see them through a different filter. I've talked about it before, but I'm going to say it again because I'm a junkie for this. I love this musical, The Man of La Mancha. Um, back in the late 60s, early 70s, it came out. My favorite Man of La Mancha recording was this one right here. It's early, it's like 1973, Richard Kiley. If you're going to listen to Man of La Mancha, don't listen to any of the other junk. This is it. The Peter O'Toole movie, a joke. Don't worry about it. This, just listen to the album, okay? I, I do love analog. I do love vinyl. Um, way better than a cassette tape. <laughs> but the thing, I, the reason I love this is because I was raised on this, this album. My parents played just a ton of Bob Dylan, CCR, some Keith Green, and this. My mom liked musicals. My dad didn't understand art, really, but my mom enjoyed art, and, uh, and she loved musicals, and so she played this. And we just kept on asking her to replay this because it was this crazy story of this guy who thought of himself as this, as this knight, you know, and dreaming the impossible dream and going after dragons. And I just, I, I ate it up and asked her to play it over and over again. I had no idea how messed up a plot line this is. I'm like thinking, you let us listen to this stuff? But it's phenomenal. When I, when I got older, I realized that the story is much broader than that. It's the story of Don Quixote, who is a, a rich landowner who sees all the problems in life, all the things that are wrong, and he loses his mind. He loses his mind because he realizes he can't fix it. And when he loses his mind, all of a sudden what he does is he says, I'm going to become a knight. 
I'm going to impersonate a man, and, and I'm going to become Don Quixote de la Mancha. I, and he's going, and so he, he's, he's this individual who sets out. He goes to his drunk neighbor who's drunk all the time, Sancho Pons, and says, you are my squire. And Sancho Pons is like, okay, whatever. I don't have anything better to do. And they go off, and they go to right all wrongs, and he's going to be an individual who sees all the broken and make it whole, all the wrong and be right. He's going to be this ambassador of, the, of God, and, he just, and he's this amazing guy, right? And he, but he's bananas. He's crazy out of his mind. He's running after windmills thinking they're dragons and, and getting caught up in them. Eventually, he gets to La Mancha, which is this, like, this little tiny spot of a town, and that's what La Mancha means, is the spot. He gets to La Mancha, and he looks at it as a kingdom. It's not a kingdom. It's a glorified brothel. And it's like this roadside place where you get some food, you get your animals fed, and you visit the prostitute, Aldonza, the one who's used and abused by every single person that comes by that way. And she looks at herself as totally deserving this life. You know, her, she, she was born uh, to a, she doesn't even know who her father was. She knows probably a soldier, but she doesn't even know which side because her mom was just that way as well. And so she basically, I, my life has befitted my delicate birth, the most casual bride of the murder, murdering scum of the earth is what she sings. And in walks Don Quixote. And Don Quixote sees her and he doesn't call her by Aldonza. He says, Dulcinea. And he starts to sing to her Dulcinea. Dulcinea means sweet one, sweet thing. And he starts to sing to her these words. He said, I have dreamed thee too long, never seen thee or touched thee, but known thee with all of my heart. Half a prayer, half a song. Thou hast always been with me, though we have been always apart. Dulcinea, Dulcinea. I see heaven when I see thee, Dulcinea. And thy name is like a prayer, an angel whispers, Dulcinea. Well, she wants nothing of this. She thinks this guy's a joke. And everyone else thinks it's a joke that he would think of her, this woman, this prostitute, as this delicate flower, beautiful woman who has these virginous qualities to her. And that goes through the whole of, of the musical until at the end of the musical, ultimately, he is faced with the reality of the fact that he is not Don Quixote this night. He's just this, this, this guy who's lost his mind, and he has, a, he has a stroke, and he falls down. He's carried back to his house, and eventually, as he's carried back to his house, um, he's on his deathbed, dying, and, and, and his family doesn't even really appreciate him at all because he's embarrassed them and embarrassed them that he threw himself after this prostitute thinking that she was a princess, And Sancho Panza comes by and sings to him, trying to remind him of of who he once was. He's completely lost all memory of what took place. And he's dying. And enter in Aldanza, the stable prostitute. And she leans down next to him and she says, please, please remember, you looked at me and you called me by another name. And then she starts to sing to him the song he sang to her, except for she changes the words, and she sings, Dulcinea, Dulcinea, once you found a girl and called her Dulcinea, when you spoke the name, an angel seemed to whisper, Dulcinea, 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 won't you please bring back the dream of Dulcinea? Won't you bring me back the bright and shining glory of Dulcinea? And at that moment, he says, perhaps, Perhaps it wasn't a dream. And then all of the memory comes back in. The thing I love about that musical, and I loved as, as, an, as I grew into adulthood, is I start, as I'm reading God's word, I'm realizing this is our story. This is the story of God, but it's better. 
It's better because God the Father is someone who is not a madman. He sees us as we are. He doesn't have an airbrushed version of us like, oh, you're just, you're perfectly unwonderful. He actually sees us in the scum of our life. And he says, I see you as Aldonza. But because of my love for you and what I can do for you, I call you by another name. You are Dulcinea because of me. That he steps in and he sees us and calls us by another name. That is our story between us and the Father. That's our story because of what Jesus has done. And that is our calling as we reach out to those who are broken and messed up in this world. Those who are Christian and those who are not. And our job as Christians out of the love that God has called into us is to agape love out to them. With that same type of perspective, seeing them through the eyes, not through the eyes of our own experience, but the eyes of Christ. To see them and call them by another name. Amen? As Christians, we're called, as chapter 6 pointed out, to do, whenever the opportunity presents itself, to do good. And to do good to people outside of the church, to do good to people inside of the church. Last week, you guys uh, stepped into this in a big way when you went on out there and you started taking the tags. And some of you, um, you've already done like the challenge that you had and it has been huge, like an awesome impact on you. You've, you've helped somebody and you started to see, this is, this is what I was created for. And it was a great success. Some of you um, did this and it blew up in your face. And I heard some, some stories of people who were like, I, I did it, man, but this was, it did not go as I thought it would go. There was one guy who, um, he uh, was doing a really great favor for a neighbor and um, ended up um, mowing his lawn because the guy had surgery. And, uh, but in mowing the lawn with the new lawnmower that he had, this rider mower, um, it cut this guy's lawn significantly shorter than it should be, um, which is not a great thing, you know, but, but apparently this guy came out and said, hey, it's, it's cool. It'll grow back. <laughs> but the thing is that, that I want to encourage you with this. The, the amazing thing that we have, and this person said it. He said, even though uh, that happened, I am committed to intentional acts of kindness. Um, even though that, that first one didn't work out. And I want to encourage you with this. That I don't even know how many there's left, but there's not many. If you haven't stepped into actually saying, I want to step in and do something. Like, I don't want to just believe something. I want to believe something and let that belief lead to action. I don't want to just be a recipient of God's love and God's grace. I want to let that, that love and grace lead to action up on behalf of someone else. I want to encourage you to go snag one of these. If you've already done it, you want to pick up another one, go pick up another one. That's fine. Until they're gone, we'll have those out for you. And uh, this one right here says, bring groceries to a neighbor. Pretty cool. So I want to encourage you, even in, in these small ways, for this to condition our brains to realize this is who we're called to be. And this is, this thing that God's doing in us is not growing us to be self-righteous, people, but is instead growing us to be, have the good that he's planted in us to allow that good to go out. Let's stand for prayer. Lord Jesus, you've called us to cross-centered lives that we represent you. When we sing, we want our music to be cross-centered. When we teach from the word, we, we pray that our, our words are cross-centered but oftentimes, God, we just kind of hang up our Christian hat as we leave, and then we just live the rest of the week me-centered and a me-centric life. We weren't designed for that, and, and we don't experience any freedom or, or flourishing in that. Lord, I pray that you equip the people in this service right here. I pray that you equip them 
with the reality that you've called them to so much greater, that you've called them to loving that is a different brand and a different style of love than any other worldly love can afford. You've called us to agape love that's been modeled by Jesus. But I pray that you help us live cross-centered lives and that that's the filter that we use when we're engaging those around us. And when we see the effect of that, we will give you the thanks and the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. Let's go do it.